everybody to the latest episode of the Hitman Chronicles. This is your co-host, Robert Silva, along with my co-host, Sebastian. And today, we will be talking about one of the greatest one-night performances in the history of professional wrestling. That's the King of the Ring, 1993, June 13th, 1993, in Dayton, Ohio, Bret Hart put on a virtuoso performance against Razor Ramon, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning, and Bam Bam Bigelow. And what was a sensational, sensational card. Seb, what do you remember about this card and what was your anticipation? What were you anticipating before this card began? What did you think was going to happen? And did you think Brett was going to win this card as a 12 or 13-year-old boy at the time? So, for this card, um, first of all, I was always a huge fan growing up just of tournaments and anything that you can do in wrestling that was tournament format um, was just gold for me because I grew up watching wrestling, but also baseball. I played baseball and I watched it. So, just the thought of the tournament and the Jays coming off of a World Series win, just really got me excited. So I was pumped for the King of the Ring. And I know that it's sort of fallen out of fashion in the past few years, but this was always one of my favorite events of the year, stemming just from this first one. And so I was really excited to watch. And, you know, as always, you think that your favorite guy is going to win. So I was always pulling for Brett, but it was a tough field. You didn't know for sure. And you had, uh, you know, you had unknowns like Tatanka being thrown in there, for example. Uh, in one of the brackets so it was definitely a little bit of a a nail biter as a kid and you're thinking well I wonder if Brett can pull this one off if you notice Seb that this is a theme that the WWF had started with Survivor Series the first Survivor Series in November of 1987 the specialty pay-per-view which would involve a lot of the roster and was a tournament-like uh, Survivor Series 87. You got five on five or five tag teams against five tag teams. You have the lone or maybe a couple of survivors, but that was an elimination-type match. It was an elimination match. Then you got the Royal Rumble starting in January of 88, which was an elimination-type match. So you have finally one winner. And... June of 1993, the first King of the Ring, which was their first pay-per-view annual tournament. They did have a tournament back at WrestleMania 4 for the WWF title. Oh, and before that, they had what was the Wrestling Classic in, in it was either November or December of 1985. So the WWF had, since the beginning of their pay, since the beginning of pay-per-view, always featured elimination-type matches, tournaments, rumbles, five-on-five elimination matches, however you want to say it. They had, And they've always done that. And it was great because it would involve almost the entire roster. You get everybody involved, and you get the fans. Like you said, you were rooting for Brett. Um, I'm rooting for Brett because at this point in time, Brett's my number one guy in, in WWF. So I'm rooting for Brett. Uh, 
but I remember the Survivor Series in the past. I remember the Survivor Series of 89. I was a big super, I was still a big Superfly Snooker fan at that time. So I was rooting for Snooker, and he and it was him and Perfect at the end, and then Perfect pins him with the Perfect Plex. But so here you go. Going into this, uh, going into this pay-per-view, if you look at it from a logical standpoint, there could only be one guy winning this tournament. It had to be Bret Hart. Um, the only other possibility would have been Mr. Perfect. It, it, it couldn't have been Razor Ramon. He had just lost to one, two, three kid, and he was in the middle of that feud. And he was also in the midst of a babyface turn that would happen, I think, a few weeks later. Um, and he would start feuding with Ted DiBiase, and DiBiase was on his way out to WWF. It wasn't going to be Bigelow. Bigelow was a mid-card heel at the time. So it was. It definitely looked like Brett. And if it wasn't going to be Brett, it would have been perfect. But Brett had to be logically the overwhelming choice to win the King of the Ring. And behind the scenes, the booking, Pat Patterson and Vince McMahon had booked, not only booked Brett to win the title, but booked Brett to beat who the current WWF champion at the time, Hulk Hogan, was also on this card. He would be defending the title against Yokozuna. Originally, Hogan was supposed to go over Yokozuna and face Bret Hart at SummerSlam, where you would have the official passing of the torch. Now, individual sports, you're supposed to have that passing of the torch, and all sports do it better than wrestling. Just this past week, we had an official passing of the torch in tennis where we finally seen for the second time in two years that even though Serena's the greatest female athlete of all time, Naomi Osaka is just too young and too quick for Serena to deal with it. Hey, father time is undefeated. That was a passing of the torch. So here we have what should have been a passing of the torch like tennis has done. Boxing has done it several times. I remember when De La Hoya lost to Floyd Mayweather in 2007. That was the passing of the torch from the last great star. Wrestling, you would think, Seb, would be the easiest sport to do it because it's predetermined. But no, egos get involved. And um, I'm going to read an excerpt from the greatest book ever written about a professional wrestler and by a professional wrestler. Brett Hitman Hart, my real life in the cartoon world of wrestling. Page 313, it goes like this. King of the Ring was a one-night tournament concept, and it was a good sign that my stock was rising again when Vince told me that I'd be crowned the winner. My guess was that Vince was starting to build, build me for what I already knew was coming a SummerSlam showdown with Hogan. In many ways, a showdown between my fans and his. On May 24th, I was summoned to a secret photo shoot in Halifax to do promotional shoots for SummerSlam 1993. Hogan and I posed doing a mock tug-of-war with the world belt, standing chin to forehead, sneering and gritting our teeth. If I faced Hogan at SummerSlam, Win or lose, I knew he'd be booed and I'd be the underdog. 
What didn't occur to me was that Hogan knew it too. You know, it's funny, Seb, and you were you attended probably the last passing of the torch match that's ever happened in 20, 20 years, no, 19 years ago, uh, the, the WrestleMania at, at Toronto. I think, if I'm not mistaken, no, actually, Rock did it for John Cena also. All right. So in wrestling, the last two passing of the torches for the WWF slash WWE was the WrestleMania you attended, Hogan versus Rock, and then Rock versus Cena. It's rarely done, but those were perfect examples. And as you see, fans, those are two of the biggest drawing pay-per-views and uh, attendance figures and gate figures in the history of wrestling because it was done. It was the great, the, the legend putting over the next legend. And unfortunately, Hogan didn't want to play ball. I continue. On May 29th, Vince called me at home to tell me the big news that I was getting the belt back. What I didn't expect to hear was that he was getting ready to call Hogan and hated the thought of telling him that he was too old and tired for a company whose marketing strategy was now based around a new generation concept. Vince wanted to make Hogan into the Babe Ruth for the WWF and use him as more of a special attraction. He asked me not to say anything until he spoke to Hogan. Ten days later, Vince called again. He warned me that he was about to tell me something that would make me really angry. Hogan was flat out refusing to put me over, saying I wasn't in his league. Vince had decided that Yoko would be getting the belt instead. I couldn't believe that Hogan would do this to me. I remembered him shaking my hand at WrestleMania 9 and telling me he'd be happy to return the favor. Yeah, right. Vince said he'd have one more meeting with Hogan to try to sell him on it. But if he didn't go for it, I'd work with Lawler at Jerry Lawler at SummerSlam instead. Well, Hogan refused. And on this card, you had the, the horrible match with Hogan and Yokozuna where, uh, was it uh, Jimmy Hart? Or no, it was uh Bruno, right? Uh Bruno uh downtown Bruno. What's his name? Um yeah, Harvey uh, Whipple. Harvey, Harvey yeah, there you go. Dressed up dressed up as a Japanese photographer, right? That shot shot into uh, Hogan's eyes. Yokozuna gives the bonze drop, gets the belt back. Hulk Hogan is stretching out, and you don't see him in the WWF for another nine years. <laughs> He's He's put out the pasture. Uh, you know what, Seb? You would think that, you know, I love what Vince and Pat Patterson did to Hogan. He was squashed. Fuck that photo shit. He was squashed in the middle of the ring. He took the bonsai drop and pin one, two, three. I know they, Hogan outsmarted himself. Do you, 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 why would you want to go out like that? He went out looking like a bitch. Instead of having a great match with Bret Hart where you'd have a standing ovation and you pass the torch and it, it, would, it would be great like what he did with The Rock. But no, like nine years later, but no, he gets bonsai dropped and he looked like an old man whose carcass was being taken to, to, to a funeral home. Anyway, so now... We go to the evening of June 13th, 
the first annual King of the Ring pay-per-view. There were King of the Rings before. There was an annual King of the Ring that I believe started in 86 in Providence, Rhode Island, and Brett had won one of those tournaments. But this was the first pay-per-view King of the Ring, and I'm going to hand it over to Sev as he gives you a detailed review of the match between Razor Ramon and Bret Hart in the first round of the King of the Ring tournament. And uh, just to bring up one more tournament, because you keep mentioning Pat Patterson, um, he won the tournament with millions of Brazilians in Rio de Janeiro and, I, uh, to be the first IFC champion. So don't forget that one. I think there was 543,000 people attended that match in Rio de Janeiro <laughs> in the soccer field. They broke all of Pele's records. <laughs> Never be beaten again. Never be broken. <laughs> There were two, by the way, there were two Rio de Janeiro uh, uh, tournaments for WWF titles. Buddy Rogers won one back in 63. (laughs) And Pat Patterson won in 1979. Now, you ask, who did they defeat in the tournament final? To this day, we still don't know who Buddy Rogers or Pat Patterson defeated in the tournament final. Go ahead, Seb. All right, so uh, Bret Hart, Razor Ramon, as you'd mentioned earlier, Razor was in the big feud with the one, two, three kid. And just uh, to briefly go over that feud, it was one of the biggest upsets in uh, WWF history because you never really saw a jobber go over on one of the main roster stars. And Razor was, uh, you know, he's really building up at that time. And one, two, three kid, uh, just pulled one over on him, gave him the uh, moonsault, got three count, and then ran out of there. And then they had the $10,000 challenge where um, Waltman took the money and he ran with it. So Razor was constantly preoccupied with this and he was upset. Uh, so that was the story going in, into this. So he hadn't quite turned babyface yet. And this was also a rematch of 1993 Royal Rumble. Brett versus Razor when Brett was still champ. So a Razor was red hot at this time. So kudos to Pat Patterson for booking that upset. I mean, out of nowhere. And look, I had been following wrestling since 1981, and and the first promotion I started watching because I grew up in New York was the WWF. And in my 12 years of watching wrestling up until that point, I had never seen that. On WWF television, whether it was pay-per-view or, 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 or superstars, Saturday's main event, challenge, all-star wrestling, championship wrestling, Tuesday Night Titans. That was the first time I ever saw a jobber beat not just a mid-card guy. Razor Ramon was up a Razor Ramon at this point in time was the number two heel behind Yokozuna. That's how hot he was. Razor Razor Ramon had come off feuds with both Bret Hart and Randy Savage. He was red hot at this point in time. And kudos to Razor Ramon. Now, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon slash Scott Hall, later on in WCW, he put over guys like slipping on a banana peel and shit. He he, he would really, it, it, it wouldn't be 
he was doing him a disservice. But no, this is the way you make a star. And um, I don't know if they were tight yet, but they would become best friends, uh, Sean Waltman and uh, Scott Hall. So I'm not sure at that point in time if they were tight yet. But man, kudos to Scott Hall for putting Kid over. And Kid from that point on was a made man. And um, going into this match, you hear the crowd and Brett going one, two, three, one, two, three. Go ahead, Seb, continue. <laughs> so on the call for the show, um, you had a very weird team as well. You had Jim Ross, you had Macho Man, and you had Bobby the Brain Heenan. So they weren't a bad team together, but it was a very weird mishmash of voices uh, to hear the three of them together. We didn't need Macho Man on this telecast. <laughs> Heenan and Ross were tremendous, and it's it's criminal that they only were together six months because Heenan and Ross on this entire pay-per-view were on fire. Jim Ross was announcing like it was 1989 Flair Steamboat. He put Brett over huge, especially in the the, the best pairing. It will be the next match, the, the, the Henning Bret Hart match. But Macho Man, he's just screaming and going, come on, Brett, come on. <laughs> Macho Man was not, he wasn't a great commentator. He wasn't a good commentator. He wasn't an average commentator. He was just a cheerleader. That's it. And I, I didn't need it. So, uh, anyway, go ahead and continue. <laughs> I, I still um, remember one of my favorite Macho Man calls of all time was uh, you had PCO back when he was doing the, um, I think it was the Quebecer gimmick. And, uh, Macho was all afraid of him. He goes, oh, I'm officially retired. <laughs> and it's like it's 10 years before he was actually retired. <laughs> oh, man. Will I, he was actually decent one night, and we'll be talking about that match a few months down the line. Uh, spoiler alert for, for the uh, fans out there. He was decent in one match where it was just him and Ross, because at that by by that match, the match that I'm referring to, Heenan had already left the WCW. But man, I wish we would have had just Heenan and Ross together on a consistent basis. There was always a third banana, whether it was McMahon or Savage. Neither one was needed. All right, go ahead. So uh, the match starts off, and uh, Brett and Razor are both super super over at this time and you can just tell that the fans absolutely hate razor and they're just chirping him the whole match the one two three chance um now brett starts off the match working on uh, razor's arm and he goes for an arm submission and they call uh, a weird move an arm bar much this is sort of pre-ufc mm -hmm. days so they're not quite as into their um, vernacular for all the submission moves but Brett usually goes for the leg, but instead in this match, he starts uh, with the arm. So Brett goes, uh, works the arm, gets the arm bar, goes for a hammer lock, uh, and then Razor uh, reverses, hits a back elbow. Brett runs into the corner, gets eats a big knee from Razor, and then Brett gets posted. This is where I think Jim Ross is really... And I was... 
a big WCW fan, so I knew Ross's stuff, but he was still, it was a little different to hear him on WWE TV, but hearing him put over Brett in this era, and he starts yelling that Brett's shoulder mm-hmm. might be yep, separated. Yep. Uh, and then he pulls off uh, a line, which I think that he may have stole from Gorilla. He says, right, right the clap. Hey, <laughs> and uh, to piggyback on what you just said, Jim Ross was only in the promotion less than three months at this point. Um, he debuted WrestleMania 9, and that was a horrible card. And Jim Ross hadn't, he hadn't settled in yet. You could tell he was nervous. Here, this is yeah. the first time that you hear Jim Ross as Jim Ross. And it's perfect because Bret Hart is Jim Ross's type of wrestler. And you can hear it in his voice. And he, this was the first time that Jim Ross was WCW Jim Ross. Absolutely. And this is sort of what he, what leads him into uh, his full WWE run. Um, which is legendary throughout the Monday Night Wars. You can hear him finally coming through here. So it's uh, it's really nice to go back and listen to his, sort of his origins uh, in the run, especially after you mentioned the WrestleMania 9. It uh, wasn't a great debut uh, on any level for him. So now at this point in the match, the crowd starts chanting uh, one, two, three, and Razor hits Brett with a Randy Orton-style punt. Um, and this is, he's in firm control. Uh, he lifts Brett up and he hits the running power slam like Davy mm-hmm. Boy uh, in their SummerSlam match. This is a less dramatic kick out. Brett gets out of two. Then Ramon starts hitting Brett with elbows. Uh, he hits the sidewalk slam. You hear heaning up cover him. And this is just the, it's hard to pull off a great heel commentator, but. You just feel that Heenan's trying to cheer for the all the heels, and he does it better than anybody in the history. It's, of it's uh, for that. Jesse's a close second, but Heenan's the best when it yeah. comes to cheering for a heel. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah and I, I agree with obviously some of the greatest of all time because you know we've sung the praises of Jesse and Gorillas working yep, together yep. too. Um, now Brett rolls away from Razor, dropping consecutive elbows. Uh, hits a punch, an atomic drop, and a clothesline. And Brett hits a beautiful gut punch. And just uh, so you know how over Brett was back in the day, that gut punch was like a schoolyard go-to move. And anybody wanted to be Brett, you just throw that gut punch because you wouldn't get in trouble from the teachers for being uh-huh. a sharpshooter. And you can get away with throwing, that, throwing somebody to the chain link fence. They run off and you can fit in with that gut punch. Um, so Brett hits that on Razor. Goes for the Russian late sweep, gets the two. So Brett, with all of his fast moves, hits the backbreaker and the elbow combo for another two. Now, Brett gets a roll-up, and he goes, uh, gets to... Hey, this, go, goes, this goes back to what yeah. we... What, was it the, the small package? Or the roll? The ro- he does a, did we get to the small package yet? And, and, uh, Razor kicks out like at two or three quarters. Oh, that was the All right, that's keep coming going. up. That's keep a going. small package. Yeah, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when Razor sets up for the Razor's Edge. Uh, and then Brett reverses it into a black backslide 
and then a flip over in is a beautiful sequence. And this is where Brett hits a small package uh, for the two. And that was a close. And, 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 and you that always was, brought uh, this up. Sebo and Seb has tweeted this on Twitter. The greatest dude in the history of wrestling when it comes to small packages is Bret Hart. And uh, he is the master of the small package. And I thought that I when I watched this live at my friend's house back in 93, I thought the backslide was going to be the, the pin. But that was a great transition. Then you had the small package he kicked out. And I was like, damn, damn. And now uh, Seb will continue as to the ending of the match, but I, both of those moves were flawless, and I thought, boom, that would be it. But no, they continued. Yeah, and just uh, based off something that you had tweeted about a week ago, um, Brett has one of the absolutely most beautiful wives in all of wrestling, and I heard that she loves a small package as well. So, <laughs> good for Brett. Um, I I'm not, no, I can't get that visual off the mind of, of him having her in a small package with his small package inside her. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> so, Brent uh, goes for the uh, uh, sorry, Razor gets Brett onto the top turnbuckle and just talk about great storytelling because this comes to playoff later. Uh, the back suplex from the top, Brett reverses it, lands on top of Razor, kind of cradles leg over leg and hits the three count. And Razor is just angry. And I love to see when a guy loses and he's just so mad. And perfect ending to the first of three awesome matches. Um, uh, real quick, an excerpt from the book, one, one paragraph, page 314. Brett says, Razor and I opened the show. For some reason, Pat told me not to win any of my matches with the sharpshooter. So I worked a spot with Razor where he stomped and broke my fingers as an excuse as to why I couldn't use them for the rest of the night. Rest in peace, Pat Patterson. Nobody in the history of wrestling other than Bill Watts paid attention to detail better than Pat Patterson. Nobody today does, but back then, everything Pat Patterson booked made sense, and there was a reason to it. And there you go, the stopping of the figures. His work had improved, Razor's work had improved a lot since the Royal Rumble, and we pulled some clever spots going into the finish with Razor falling backward off the top and me twisting to land on top of him for a pinfall. And like Seb said, it was perfectly executed. The match is over. Now we go on to the match. And was and what I believe was the best match Perfect ever had in the World Wrestling Federation. Mr. Perfect versus Bret Hart. We did their first match, SummerSlam of 91, which was a great match. This match was an even better match. Because Perfect in the first match had a slip disc in his back. He was not even 50%, maybe 40%. They had a great match. Well, this match, he's completely healthy. And Seb, before you go into the details of this match, talk about the psychology of this match, which was off the chart. The ring psychology 
was off the chart. And you want to refresh my mind about the promos leading up to this match about whose father was the better father and so forth. So in terms of the uh, build to the match, um, one thing that we've gone through a lot over um, over Brett's career is how you could just pull a face versus face match off. And Perfect had already, um, just to go back through 1993, he'd already knocked Ric Flair out of the WWF, uh, sent him packing back to WCW in their retirement match. So Perfect was getting sort of a baby face uh, resurgence at this time. He was really... Um, I don't want to say he was reaching Brett's level of popularity, but you could tell that there was a lot of people who just really appreciated Perfect's work, and he'd been around. At this for a point long in time, time Seb, um, Perfect is the number three face in the organization behind Hogan and uh, Bret Hart. And matter of fact, move him up to number two because Hogan's getting squashed tonight, and he's out the door. So Perfect at this point in time <laughs> is the number two face. So you got the top two faces in the organization going up against each other in this match. Yeah. And um, I believe it was on uh, Superstars where they had a battle right, right. whose dad was the best. Um, and uh, Perfect had brought up how uh, they'd faced each other before and had a bad back from their 1991 match. Um, and it's really... Um, interesting because you go back and you look through the history and Brett kind of used a, a family history with uh, his Roddy Piper right. WrestleMania match as well and Larry the Axe and, um, and Stu Hart were both kind of before my time so I never really saw them perform but Stu is just legend among legends in Canada in terms of uh, mm -hmm. what he's done in Calgary and running the Stampede promotion uh, so when I was a kid and I was trying to, to piece it together, I didn't really know a lot about Larry Dax. I don't mm -hmm. know what my pops told me about him. So um, in my mind, I was like, well, well, perfect. There's no way that perfect's dad is better. And, you know, you've always got to defend your guy. Um, and the only real uh, other thing that I know for perfect with uh, Larry the Axe is that uh, he squashed Roddy Piper in his first match. So. Um, I didn't really mm -hmm. know a lot about him back in the day. I saw when I was a kid, there was a wrestling promotion in 1984. There was a wrestling promotion where uh, AWA, Crockett, Florida, Georgia, all got together and formed a promotion called Pro Wrestling USA, which would air throughout in syndication throughout the United States. And Larry Henning, the only time I saw him teamed up with his son, Kurt Henning, and they had a feud with the Road Warriors. And he looked like a tough... Larry Henning looked like the type of dude that if you were in a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning and he wanted to fight you, you're going to the hospital. <laughs> he was a, a tough-looking, big, burly son of a gun. Kurt was nothing like his father. Kurt was, you know, much more muscular, much more athletic. Larry Henning looked like a ballroom brawler, while Kurt Henning looked like the high school quarterback, the college quarterback, <laughs> and which much more athletic. So it's it's funny. 
Larry Henning was a great tag team wrestler. He had a great tag team with Harley Race in the 1960s. They were the AWA World Tag Team Champions. Uh, and he wrestled Vern a lot, Vern Gagne a lot, for the AWA World title. But he was never considered a great worker. He was considered a great brawler. While Kurt was the ultimate worker, right? Uh, so... What I got to see him, yeah, he he looked even though he was old as shit, he he looked like yeah he belonged in the ring with the Road Warriors because he was a brawler and punches were good because the Road Warriors sold for his punches and Henning would his son would bump around like he always did like a pinball machine for the for the Road Warriors. <laughs> nice. Yeah, to quote Snatch, he's a big man. That's for sure. That's. Um, so the match was, and anyone who's a fan at this time, uh, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that a lot of people would consider Brett versus Henning at SummerSlam, um, you know, one of the top, maybe five or 10 matches in WWF history at the time. And, you know, it's legendary status wasn't quite what, uh, a macho man versus, uh, Ricky, the dragon steamboat at WrestleMania three was. But everybody who paid attention knew that, um, you know, it, you have two of the very best in the world right now. And, you know, I'd, I'd probably argue that Henning was better than Sean at this point in their careers. Yes. You know, in terms of overall ring work, you just get a better Michaels, Michaels would surpass him by the following year. But at this point in time, I agree with you. Perfect is still above. Michaels, because remember, Michaels had been a tag team wrestler for years. He was just getting, being a single star. He was just getting it together while Perfect was already seasoned. But by 1994, I would admit, even though I hate the fucking bastard, I would admit by 1994 that Shawn Michaels would be (laughs) above Kurt Henning. And then, you know, Kurt leaves a couple of months after this. He doesn't stay long. Yeah, and I think um, he has a bit of a cameo at WrestleMania 10, I think, and then um, yeah. yeah, his whole career is a little. He like, has uh, the he has the point. very uh, very underwhelming match with Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam that everybody thought was going to be this classic, and it... yeah, go ahead, keep keep going. Yeah. Can you no, hear me? no. Oh, sorry. No, no, I, I thought I heard a beep on the line. Uh, yeah, good time for edits. Um, so the the match here, um, Brett and uh, Perfect already, and Heenan's hyping up the match. And uh, you know, as you know from last time, Heenan sort of loves this stuff. And uh, and, and it's, it's funny you say that because so Kurt saying, turned on Heenan, right? But in this match, even yeah. though storyline, they're supposed to hate each other. You hear Bobby midway through the match. I, I can't believe I'm rooting for for, for perfect <laughs> because that's his guy. <laughs> Bobby Heaton said over and over again, and Dave Meltzer, the Observer, always talked about this: that Kurt was one of Bobby's three or four favorite wrestlers of all time, and he loved Perfect as a son. And even though they're feuding at this point in time, you hear 
You hear him rooting for? I can't believe I'm rooting for perfect. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, to start the match, uh, so you got face versus face. Uh, neither of them are going uh, any type of subtle heel, and they're really going. Uh, so, match gets off, starts with a headlock, but then you got a fast pace with reversals from both guys. Uh, Brett hits a shoulder tackle, hip toss, a headlock takeover, and then uh, Perfect reverses that into a head scissors. And you talk about just, like, beautiful movement. Uh, I know that guys today are more athletic than ever in the ring, but you watch the movement of Brett and Henning, and it's a different Seb, level. Seb, really it's flawless. This America match right is flawless. Everything they do is picture perfect and the ring psychology behind everything. There's a reason for everything. It's every high spot is because it's it, it there's a purpose to it, not just to do it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um Brett uh, gets back up. He slams perfect. Perfect kicks his legs up to knock uh Brett over. Brett goes for another headlock. Um, Brett with the beautiful crucifix. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk about Brett's pinning moves. Always had a beautiful crucifix. And he used to end matches with it sometimes, too. And that's why, you know, you have a guy like Brett where, uh, you know, you go through this tournament, he's told not to use a sharpshooter. You think that he's mm-hmm. going to be able to win with any number of moves because he was the excellence of execution. But uh, he only gets the two off of the crucifix. So Kurt works his way back up. Brett hits a high cross body for one, goes outside, comes back in for a sunset flip with a two, and then a headlock takeover again. Now Kurt starts pulling some subtle heel moves here. Mm-hmm. So he pulls Brett by the hair. Uh, and this is, you know, one of those things where you know, you say a face versus face match is hard to pull off, but you have somebody going a little subtle heel on it. And, you know, you don't have to go all out with the brass knucks, but you have, you know, a little bit it, of a hair pull. And it's uh, and like we, uh, the, the last match we did, Brett was the subtle heel against Davy Boy. In this match, Perfect is the subtle heel against Brett. You know, they, they, uh, Brett changes roles, but it's because Brett doesn't do any heel moves in this match. It's perfect. Subtly, just like Brett was a subtle heel against Davy Boy, so it's a great change of pace and shows you how Brett can play both roles, and shows you the master of the ring that Kurt Henning was. Rest in peace. He died way too young. Kurt Henning was in his prime. Yeah, absolutely, and. You have two wrestling minds like this, and they meet up with mm-hmm. Pat Patterson to lay something out, and you know you get a classic like this. Um, now, perfect drop kicks Brett to the outside, and my God, Mister Perfect had the best drop kick. It was phenomenal. Now, uh, Brett's being counted out. Uh, Kurt Kurt takes down a strap, so another subtle heel move this one not as subtle Kurt's holding open the ropes for Brett Brett comes in no idea why Brett would want to mm-hmm. come in the ropes this way but Brett's a baby fa- or Kurt's a baby face during this match so it makes more sense you know he thinks hey we've got this camaraderie 
But as soon as Brett goes into the ring, he gets nailed by perfect. So just more fantastic uh, heel work from Kurt there. Kurt throws some chops. And, you know, it's never something that I remember from when I was a kid, Kurt Henning with the chops, because you have, you know, all, all of your usual suspects like uh, a Rick Flair Kurt, chop. Kurt, Kurt Henning's chops were as good as Steamboat's. Wahoo McDaniel and Ric Flair's chops. He just didn't use it a lot. But if you if you remember the loser leaves WWF Monday Night Raw match, Flair and Henning chopped the shit out of each other. So yeah, Kurt Kurt can chop his ass off. <laughs> Absolutely. And now there's a really really nasty spot in here, and I'm not even sure if, um, if something went wrong with this or if this is the way that they planned it. Um, but Kurt launches Brett into oh, the I don't. He, he fell into Brett some type of uh, I don't know what that shit was. Like there was a hole of equip, uh, some type of equipment that and I was like, oh my yeah. and Brett, I don't think Brett had to sell this. <laughs> I think he was I think he was really hurt because he missed the guardrail. <laughs> but you know what? Him landing in that Quasi ditch was an even greater impact and spot than if he would have hit the guardrail. Yeah, absolutely, and it was uh, it, it didn't look good, probably didn't feel good. So, thankfully, he he was okay off of the spot because it was uh, it looked really ugly at the time. But it was also one of those things that. Um, you know, you go second match on AEW Dark and everybody leaving the ring and just, you know, throwing everybody else this, into the guard. I mean, it, it, it wasn't intended. It didn't hit the target, but by missing the target, it made a bigger impact because that shit looked dangerous. I was like, damn! Absolutely. Damn! Damn! <laughs> Uh, Brett, uh, Brett recovers and Kurt hits some right hands and a knee lift and again I gotta sing all the praises of Kurt because knee lift is also perfection like talk about the best gimmick names of all time and Mr. Perfect like you see the guy work and you're like that was exactly how you do that you know what's um, sad Seb for almost everything that, that you never had on. like a year long feud between these guys it was one match here one match there imagine Imagine oh, if you would have had, you couldn't have had it in 91 because Kurt had to slip disc in his back and he had to retire for a year and a half. But imagine if you had a year long feud between mm-hmm. perfect and Bret Hart between 90 and 91 before he got, before he got uh, a sick, they could have had a night like in 1990, instead of bringing Kerry Von Eric in with the one foot, you could have had a long, long feud between WrestleMania and SummerSlam with uh, Brett winning the title at 90 SummerSlam instead of SummerSlam 91. And the only reason the one-footed Texas Tornado came in was because Brutus Beefcake almost had his head decapitated in a sailing accident. Anyway, go ahead. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Now, Kurt goes up uh, to the top rope 
and uh, it's not something you did every match. That was perfect. Oh, and, and, and I and all the puns intended. Oh man, that was beautiful. Now he used to use that move a lot in the AWA. You rarely saw. Matter of fact, this is the first time I ever saw him use it in the WWF. That sometimes he used it as a finishing maneuver in the AWA. But in the WWF, he hadn't used that since he started. And it was perfect in this match, all puns intended. And he hit it flawlessly. Another flawless spot in a match full of flawless spots. Go ahead. That that drop kick. Oh, man. When it comes to the greatest drop kicks in wrestling history, you got today Okada out in all, all New Japan. But you got uh, Sweet Brown Sugar, Skip Young, Sweet Brown Sugar, Coco Beware, Brad Armstrong, Jumping Jim Brunzel, and Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. Now, yeah, Owen had a great was, drop kick as well. Yes, to add him to that well. list. Yeah. yeah, great drop kick too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you see Kurt starting to get really frustrated now and you know, a bit less subtle on the heels because you can see it on his face and Kurt had some great facials. Um, and so he just winds back <laughs> and he punches right, right in the face here. Um, now, Kurt goes back up to the top rope and Brett's playing possum. Uh, so he hits the superplex uh, for the two. Bobby chimes in um, when they're talking about how they're tired. And he goes, of course they're tired. They want to be king of the ring. And I always appreciate when an announcer really just bigs up the tournament or the title or something that, you know, you're trying to really get over. Because that's the difference between this and, you know, a 24-7 mm-hmm. title where it's treated like a joke. You know, you got what I loved about the superplex, Sam, it was a snap superplex. Yeah. I mean, he did it real quick. Oh, man. And kudos to Perfect because he's just coming off back surgery and he's wrestling like nothing's wrong. And I know yeah. that his back was never 100% again after that surgery. But, man, oh, that, that was beautiful. And Heenan, yeah. Heenan and, and Jim Ross is killing it at this point in time on the commentary as well. Oh, absolutely. And um, so after that spot, they're back up. And uh, Brett kids Kurt's leg out of his leg. Uh, goes for the figure four. And you remember at uh, SummerSlam, that sharpshooter, and maybe the one uh, gripe in the match is that Kurt was in the sharpshooter for like half a second. Because he didn't, he didn't um, want, he didn't, he, he, he his back was belt. shot. He couldn't take Here, that move. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. not for a long, he couldn't have taken it for more than a couple seconds. But here he's in the figure four for quite a long time. Hey, and this this right here He's is a Ric Flair like spot More great done to perfection. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not going to anger all the Ric Flair fans by saying how much better Brett was than Flair at the spot either. Um, Brett goes, oh, Kurt makes the bottom rope. Um, crowd's on fire at this point. Uh, they're kind of cheering for both guys, but Kurt's still playing more of a subtle heel. Um, Brett's still wrenching on Kurt's knee. Uh, Kurt uh, picks Brett up for a hair throw. He whips him by his hair. Um, 
and then he whips Brett into the ropes and he catches them with a sleeper. And he always had this really fun way of getting guys in a sleeper where he kind of catches them. You see it a little bit now with Dolph Ziggler kind of does it the same way that Kurt used to. Um, then Brett's in the move a long time, crawls to the ropes, and some more great subtle heel work because Henning just holds on a little too long. You know, you're a baby face. You should be letting go because this guy is just valiantly fought to the ropes, but Brett gets to the ropes. And, 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 and he did go. great commentary. Then, oh, he took it to, he took it, or was it he did a Ross? Where he said, remind me, was it he or Ross says he held on to it until he was forced to break to wear down Brett a little bit more? I think it was Heenan. No, it definitely wasn't Macho Man, because this is Macho Man. Oh, oh, come on, Brett! (laughs) Come on, come on, Brett! (laughs) That's Macho Man's entire commentary throughout this match. (laughs) You have the um, Stealing Dexy's Midnight Runners line. Um, So, Kurt... um, Goes for another sleeper hold. Um, he uses his the, foot yep. on the bottom rope for leverage. Yep, yep. Just another subtle thing. It only lasts for a few seconds, but beautifully subtle. Um, Brett pulls Henning into the corner. Oh, also, he also doing this, do, doing this. Doing this. Heated goes if if, if 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 perfect win this match and 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 wins the king of the ring. I could be convinced to be in his corner again. (laughs) (laughs) And it's perfect for his character because he's always such a front runner. He always wants to. So good. Uh, uh, Brett with a huge, huge European uppercut. Uh, Kurt sells it like crazy. Um, and then Brett tosses Kurt across the ring and crotches him on the ring right, post. Right. And this is before Brett had the ring post figure four, but you know that he's um, setting something up. So he does the atomic drop, um, which was always fun to watch a guy. Like he gets crotched, then he hit an atomic drop. You know, like, is that worse than the steel ring post? But it's wrestling. So it's just one of those wrestling things that we did. Um, the Russian leg sweep, Brett gets a two. Brett hits the leg drop here, and I just think it's beautiful that Brett's now got like the most famous leg drop in the WWF. <laughs> the bomb Hogan is out of there. Uh, Brett hits some more of the classic moves, so he goes for the backbreaker. Elbow off the second for a two. And Brett's teasing right. the sharpshooter. Mm-hmm. Um, but you mentioned that hand. I love uh, this. This is psychology. This Brett is master ring psychology. Brett's going for the sharpshooter, <laughs> and Kurt grabs the hand and pulls the fingers back, and Brett's in pain. Oh, man. get You're right. Henning, Hart, and Patterson, they mapped out an incredible match. You know, three great minds getting together. And, I mean, the storytelling in this match is – you don't see storytelling like this anymore, man. What happened? 
<laughs> uh, just yelling it off my lawn at all the kids. Um, but it's, uh, you know, you, you see, and wrestling, you know, there's so much good stuff today, but, you know, you, you need to have, you know, when I see guys like FTR, when they try and pull this stuff off. Yes, you know, they, yes. They understand well, the cause they, cause there's that's they're students of these two guys. That's why. the new stuff. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, you know, if you're going to be students of some guys, you, these guys you got Aaron that they they look up to, you know, you, this is what people should be. And no offense to Sean, because he's one of the best ever, but you have, um, you know, guys like uh, the Young Bucks who... But the thing is, Sean, Sean didn't do that. Sean, Sean threw, um, he threw one super kick in a match. One. No, he didn't. One. When he beat Flair in that yeah. retirement match, it was one super <laughs> kick. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. But, but they, I think the point, too, because, you know, Sean is such a great worker. Is that you see these guys and they mash up with <laughs> Sean's greatest hits and they think that they do them all uh, in succession. Oh man! Yeah. And I, I know you're not a gamer. I love to play video games. I know it's not your thing, but you know these. You don't want to re- watch a wrestling match. I, I like want, I want, I want, want a, a story told. This is the type so of match, the match that you're that. describing right here, the match that we've watched. Yeah. All three of these matches. Are the types of the, the entire series of matches? This podcast. These are the matches I grew up loving to watch. Matches like this, we told a story. Whether it was Bret Hart, Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, Macho Man, Piper, they told stories in their matches. One of my my first idol, Butch Reed, he told a story in his matches. There's no storytelling today. No, and this is a great story. That bring it that that the the fingers right here. It was great because when you watch it, it's like, oh shit! Now how's Brett? How's Brett gonna win this match now? His hands and then Henning stops on the hand, right? And heating again. There you go. If you break both hands, he can't do. He can't do anything. <laughs> so good. Uh, so the setup for the finish of the match because Brett's hands are mangled um, and you have Kurt just keeps on attempting the perfect flex and if you remember he hits the perfect flex in SummerSlam 1991 but here Brett's more prepared for it so he uh, you know he keeps on blocking it and then Brett pulls off this absolutely insane suplex but they both land perfectly go tumbling and because they're holding on to each other when they go outside the oh, ring absolutely. with that suplex, and Brett, safe worker, he knows that Perfect yeah. had back surgery, and he makes sure that a Perfect is safe on the bump, and b that it looks that it still looks like wow, and not a waste, not 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 a throwaway crazy spot, a spot yeah. that fit perfectly and blended it perfectly with the match. Now, right off of that move, Kurt gets into the ring first, and Kurt's selling, 
and this is a, a Brett special where you're selling, you're selling, and then you hook on the small package, and he gets the two count. And in a move that I tried to recreate when I was 12 years old and trying to be uh, to do everything that Brett was doing, Brett just kind of subtly reverses it for the one, two, another three. huge, another huge win in the, the, the in Bret Hart's career. With a simple small package, and then the match ends with with perfect leaving the ring at first, looking like he might turn heel. Then he comes to the ring and he shakes Brett's hand, and then he walks off. And the best match of the night, and that's saying a lot because all three matches were sensational. And real quick, what it said, it what 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 uh Brett said in the book, back to page three fourteen. Absolutely. My second bout was with, was with Mr. Perfect. Vince hadn't done much with Kurt since he returned to full-time wrestling after recovering from his back injury. Kurt wanted to have a great match just to show Vince that he still could, and he did. In what many would come to rate as our greatest bout ever, and it was, Kurt and I danced a tango that left him speechless backstage. Shit, I was speechless watching this shit at my boy's house. Our, our impromptu pre-match interview was casual and hilarious as we kidded each other about whose dad was tougher, what Seb brought up earlier before the match. With timing like Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. Wow. What? I mean, he's taking the words right out of our mouths. <laughs> we worked a rugged baby face match with most of our old great spots. Just as I went for the sharpshooter, Kurt bent back my taped and supposedly broken fingers, bringing me instantly to my knees. He went for his perfect plex, honoring me by letting me kick out of his finish again. No, he, he got that one wrong. He didn't kick out of it. No, no, no. I went for a standing suplex, and we... Brett is mis, misremembering that because there was no per perfect plex landed. But I'll... I'll... Uh, I'll uh, I'll excuse him for that one. I went for a standing suplex, and we jackknifed backward over the top rope where Kurt slammed his bad back hard against the ring apron. With both of us lying on the padded floor, a grimacing Kurt rolled in first, and I crawled in right behind him. Hemner stepped between us long enough for Kurt to slide in and fold me up in a small package, but I managed to flip us over, pinning Kurt cleanly with a one, two, three, it was a classic. Kurt beamed with pride when I shook his hand in the ring. And now we go to the finale. June 13th, 1993, the tournament championship match for the King of the Ring. One of my two, one of my three favorite big men wrestlers of all time. Bam Bam Bigelow versus Bret Hart. I loved Bam Bam. Both times the WWF had him as a when he was a baby face and he was red hot and the fans wanted to get behind him, his knees were cut off. And he didn't he didn't get he didn't get to be the super over baby face that the fans wanted him to be. In ninth, the first Survivor series, he was the star of that first Survivor series. As it was him, the last man standing on Hogan's team, he was the last man standing against King Kong Bundy, one man gang. And Andre, 
He pinned one man gag. He pinned Bundy. And of course, he put Andre over. The fans ate that shit up. It was incredible. But for some reason, a couple of months later, his push was stalled. And after WrestleMania, where one man gang went over him in that WWF tournament, he left. And that was it for the WWF. Then he came back. This is he's he's been in the WWF about six months now, second time. And he's teamed with Luna. And he's moving up the card as a card kid. Tremendous. You want to see a guy take somebody green and make it a great match? WrestleMania 11, Bam Bam Bigelow versus Lawrence Taylor, that's a clinic on how to make a guy who's never wrestled before look like a million dollars. And coming off that match, the fans were ready to jump on Bigelow's bandwagon and Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Shawn Michaels went to McMahon and neutered his push. Neutered his push and before the end of the year, he was gone. Yeah. And you talked about LT and a guy who was just fish out of water. That guy was looking like he, he was the he best was seller toast. in the history of wrestling. I mean, salt and pepper had to carry his ass backstage. He was exhausted. <laughs> Talk, we can do a whole podcast episode on salt. Hey, they, hey, they were they were the first female hip hop sex symbols, oh. female sex symbols, because LL was the first ma- uh, male sex symbol. But they were the first female yeah. hip hop sex symbols, and this is past their prime. And they, as far as superstardom goes, and they still looked incredible. And I remember this wasn't the first time they were involved in wrestling. They were on WCW Clash of the Champions. In '91, with up uh, the horrible uh, white rapper PNU's, the wrestling rapper, white rapper PNU. <laughs> so anyway, now we got Bigelow versus Brett, and now Seb will take you through another great match. I mean, Bigelow, Bigelow was on fire in this match. And backstage, you got Mean Gene, which I would yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, says to Bigelow, you must be fresh as a daisy. And Bigelow is just, he gets the buy, and that plays into a lot of the match and the commentary. But Bigelow is fresh off of a win. Uh, he beat a hacksaw in just a few minutes in the first round. And he gets a bye to the finals because uh, Tatanka, who I thought was a dark horse in the tournament when I was a kid, Oh, yeah. You know what? I forgot because Tataka was still undefeated at this um, time. Right. And because Tataka had beaten Sean. You see, they made a mistake. Yeah. Tataka should have went over Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania by pinfall, not by countout. That, 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 that neutered Tataka's push right there. They should have, he should have had a run with the IC title. Tataka was super over. The fans were into Tataka. And then he was buried when he lost to Ludwig Borga. Oh, so yeah, you you were right. Uh, Tataka was definitely, oh god, alongside Perfect and Brett, a favorite to win this, and Luga too, because Luga was coming off his 
with the narcissist, that horrible gimmick. Uh, so yeah, and so that was a time limit draw because they didn't want to end Tatanka's undefeated streak, and so Bigelow gets to go up against Bret Hart in the finals, and now back to Seb with the analysis of this incredible match. So Heenan uh, is already obviously predicting a Bam Bam win. Bam Bam's the, the big heel in this match. He says everything is in good shape. Um, Bret Hart had already been in the ring for uh, over 36 minutes at this point. Now, the one pet peeve I had on Jim Ross's commentary, and uh, this is a WCW holdover that they used to use all the time, is he said, I hope we have enough satellite time, which I think is about 25 minutes to bring you this match in its entirety. Dude, but this is they, but spend thirty bucks on this. But hold on, he is uh, don't, don't, like, he treat it like a live sport. The reason he's saying this is because it's a one-hour time limit. There's only twenty-five minutes left in the pay-per-view, so he wants to warn the fans. And this is this is great. This is great what Jim Ross did. They don't do this anymore. It's twenty-five minutes left in the pay-per-view, so he's warning the fans. It's a one-hour time limit. We hope to get the entire match in before the satellite time ends. And back then, Seb, I don't think you have it today, but back then, pay-per-views were st- for wrestling were strict. You had two hours and 50 minutes. There was no, there was no overrun. So that... Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you why it bothered me, I think, the most is because... They used to do this on WCW Saturday Oh, because night, you know why they did that? Vince South did that, we'll and Jim Ross brought week. that with him like, to WCW because Jim Ross is part of the booking team. So they oh, we were running out of time. Mid South was the first to do that. They were the first. Bill, Bill Watts, yeah. that was a staple of Bill Watts' uh, UWF Mid South yeah. programming. But Jim Ross was, was doing that just to let the fans know that even though there's 25 minutes left in the, the, the pay-per-view. It's not guaranteed. Now, WWF never did that, so it's not happening. That's just Jim Ross telling the fans. It's still a one-hour time limit, even though there's only 25 minutes left in the pay-per-view. Yeah. yeah. Now, and they, they do get a lot of time in this match, too, so nothing felt rushed in this because um, – you know, they're, they're building to even a false finish. So, um, now when the match starts, Bam Bam's just all over Brett. And you want to look at monsters and you talk about your favorite big guys. My, my three, Bam Bam my three are Bam Bam, um, Vader, and Gordon. Those are the bet. Those are the greatest big men in wrestling history because they're monsters. They sell and they bump. They don't kill you. I mean, they kill you, but they give you offense coming back. I mean, I mean, I always wanted to see a Vader Bigelow feud. We never got that in the United States. And they were a great tag team in New Japan, and they should have been a tag team somewhere in the United States. They and Gordy, they gave you, they beat your ass, but they let you get your shit in. And they bump for you, all three. So, yes. Those are the three best, and I would put Bigelow and Vader above Gordy. I agree with you. Those are the best. It's not even close, those three. Those three, and then everybody else is fighting for fourth. I mean, I know I love Undertaker, 
But as a worker, he's not a pimple on those three guys' asses. One, one thing um, that this brought me back to a lot as well. Because oh, about, I thought the same thing. I thought the fucking same thing. Oh, you took the words out of my mouth. This match is very similar to the Starcade '92 King of the King of Cable Tournament Final between Sting and and Vader. If you watch that match. It's practically booked the same where Big Vader beats up Sting and then Sting makes a comeback late. It's, it's the same match. Oh, Seb, I thought the same thing. Go ahead. Go. <laughs> you, re- you remember the match? You remember the match I'm talking about, so right? The Star King 90. Shut up. Yeah. yeah. Sting. <laughs> I, that's I the best. To, Every single to me, that's the best out of all their matches because Sting was doing was psychologically, and I think this had a lot to do with Watts booking at the time, because uh, uh, Watts liked to use a lot of boxing-type references, and Ross and Ventura, who were doing the match, brought it up as well. Sting was like doing the rope-a-dope, where he was trying to wear the big man down so he could use his, 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 uh, his, so he could use his athleticism and his superior stamina at the end. And that's how Sting won the match. Oh, man. You hit the nail on the spot. This was very similar to Sting versus Vader. Now, Bigelow does the... uh, He has a very similar style of of beatdown that Vader does with his hands, but he does it mostly with his head. Um, so Bigelow's headbutting just the ever-loving out of Brett, and he's hammering him with fists and headbutts, and Bigelow oh, he tosses goes him for the he grill to- press. He tosses the match, him over the top, bro. Uh, and then <laughs> Brett turns it. <laughs> oh, I, I, look, Brett absolutely Brett must have loved Bigelow. Top. I, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I was Brett if I could trust anybody to do that spot with me i mean damn that oh man <laughs> brett worked his ass off yeah. this night oh, man. <laughs> oh and he's already like two ruling matches and he's just getting tossed around now um the flying uh bam bam hits uh flying running head but um brett gets his foot on the rope and Bam Bam is just beating on him. Now, Bam Bam hits uh, Brett with a belly to back. Um, he's just throwing hard, hitting him with more headbutts. Brett goes down to the floor on one point, and uh, Bam Bam hitting more. He- this is just an absolute beatdown. And Brett has some hope spots in, in the early part, too. He hits uh, because he turns one of the gorilla presses into. Uh, a high cross body, and um, he keeps on trying to fight back. But this is one of those monster moves where the monster just keeps cutting the legs out from under him. Now, um, Brett gets hit with another belly to back in the middle of the ring. And from here, Brett finally gets a little bit more in control. But yeah, reverses, yeah, yeah. Um, Which kind of reminded me of a Vader Sting spot where. 
Vader would try to hit Sting while Sting was on the barricade and Sting would move. So that's the point of the match where I said, man, this shit reminds me of Vader Sting. (laughs) (laughs) And um, even uh, there's because Sting always had Vader was almost never body slammed in matches. I mean, I think was, the only one, the only, the only two guys that body, body slammed, slammed him early part of doing his, his sensational and, uh, WCW run was Ron Simmons and Sting. Nobody else. Oh, in the oh, wait a minute, uh, in the uh, maybe Texas I'm wrong. Death I thought Mick Foley You're right. had at yes. one point yeah. too, yeah, because yeah. Ron Simmons had the massive one as well. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but I think that those were legit the only guys that ever did it uh, to him. So it was a huge deal. Uh, and Brett pulls off a belly to back in this match. And Brett's yep. not known as a strong wrestler, but even Ross sells it as and, and Brett using and, his technique. And this match is down. right in Ross's so, wheelhouse. You know, he's got that in a common with big the two, power athletic guy versus the technical smaller guy. Uh, this is right in his wheelhouse. Mm-mm. Oh, absolutely. He, you've got a David and Goliath match. You give to Jim Ross. You're going to have some good results from it. Um, now, Brett goes uh, onto the apron. He nails Bam Bam with an elbow. He goes back up to the apron, and he tries to uh, nail another one, but he gets caught this time. Is this the spot and where he slams Brett's him into the post? back is really the with story the of this first? match because Bam Bam keeps working yeah. it over. Yeah, back first into the post. And Brett's, you know, you want to talk about a, a baby face that's really working from underneath. Brett in this match, you know that he's exhausted. You know, Bam Bam has the bye. There's absolutely just no hey, way he, he is selling this thing. Like um, Randy Savage sold as a baby face when he's hurt. Ricky Steamboat, Ricky Morton. That's how he's selling. Where he's got the fans are like, oh shit. Maybe you want to stop this. <laughs> and you hear Ross. No, don't end it this way. Don't let him, let him not end it this way. <laughs> and then you get the the shock ending because yeah. Luna comes out with the chair. Luna Vachon. After, um, and that's when and Ross starts uh, going, oh, God, please, don't end it this way. Don't let it end this way. Don't let it end this way. And it ended that way, too. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember as a kid still um, very vividly that I was like, what just what no that didn't happen. and it's one two three and on? when i'm watching this I'm like, just like all this shit come on it's gotta no i'm like wait a minute what the one two and three. then was that dave or earl hebner that came in the ring i can never tell these motherfuckers <laughs> apart one of the twin hebners comes in the ring and tells joey morella gino morella's son a cover of my son no no what happened and then they talked to howard finkel and Finkel first says the the match has been reversed, and they say no, 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 the match will. And because Hebner saw Vashon with the chair, and Pat Patterson was the master, you know the dusty finish was fucked up by Dusty, 
But Pat would throw a wrinkle in and there. It wouldn't be the same shit. He would throw a wrinkle. And this was a great wrinkle because, yeah, I could see a referee being there and saying, no, 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 no. He cheated. And this being a tournament final, you want to make sure that no outside interference is involved. And so they restart. And they didn't penalize Bigelow by disqualifying him and giving the match to Brett. No, they restarted the match. R.I.P. R.I.P. Oh man, three oh, of the four. Man, season. Howard Finkel's Bobby Heenan's dead. Howard Finkel's dead. Macho Man's dead. Bigelow's dead, and Joey Morell is dead. Only Bret Hart's alive, and Jim Ross. Oh, That's it. Oh God! <laughs> yeah. Terrible watching this whole show. Oh man! Um, so as the match continues, um, Bam Bam is still in control. He's actually more aggressive now, which I really like because he's already destroyed Brett this whole match, and Brett's just looking crushed and. Bam Bam throws an Irish whip, gets the bear hug on Brett, and he's just squeezing the life out of him. And he transitions right. it into a backbreaker, which is a big man move that you just you don't see a lot of anymore, but it's always got a cool look to it. Uh, you, know, you look at uh, old school guys like Bruno, and uh, he used to hit that, or Hercules Hernandez, but uh, somebody should bring that back. Um, so Brett won't quit. Arms going up twice, um, but he's back up. The classic move. Um, so then Brett does a flip over, um, and this is where he hits the belly to black, belly to back on Bam Bam. And um, you hear it on uh, commentary, the Macho Man with uh, I think his best. Um, <laughs> you can never count out never the hitman. Brad Hart out, no matter what you do. So, so Bam Bam keeps tossing him around, picks him up into another backbreaker. Macho Man's going crazy at this point with excitement, and then Brett with very slow. Oh, doesn't he bite him also? A bit of an eye gouge. Uh, which even the commentators kind of pick okay, up. Okay, all on. right, keep going. Um, it's like he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, was the bite at the end of the match? Oh, it, 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 he bites him somewhere. Um, so he, he pulls off some uh, a bit more uh, subtle heel work here, which Brett always. Uh, oh man, let me tell you something. So you then you, really I'm glad you brought him. that up. Because like Hulk Hogan was the biggest heel as a baby face. All right. First of all, Royal Rumble, the year before this, 92, that was a botched heel turn. And the fans were booing Hogan in, 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 in the state, in, in the arena, because Sid tosses him out. That's the job. That was his job. And Hogan, bitch, you know why you do that? Illegally pulls Sid out, and that was cheating. And no, Sid's the heel, and Hogan's the baby face. Get the hell out of here. Hogan did that. Oh, and when Macho Man beat DiBiase, he cheated by using the chair. 
That was a heel move. Oh my god, man! Fuck Hulk Hogan. Go ahead. <laughs> he was. Uh, no, um, Brett drop kicks uh, Bam Bam from behind, so the bit of the Rey Mysterio move here, um, and Brett hits a second rope clothesline, um, and here uh, Heenan comes in with a, a line about shaking hands as well. I wouldn't shake anybody's hand, and oh no, I don't know why because what, what they think they, they tell him, they tell him if Bret Hart wins, will you shake his hand? And he said, I don't shake anybody's <laughs> Now, Brett goes for the um, bulldog off oh, the second rope, oh, hits before, it, and starts going. Before you, before you do that, when he was coming off the rope for that uh, bulldog, I thought Brett he wanted to go for the elbow smash yeah. off that he does. You know the elbow, the the, and I think this might have been a missed spot. I think Bigelow got the spot mixed yeah. up and turned around, but Brett didn't waste any with no hesitation. Did the bulldog? But I think you notice. You notice us, Seth, from watching a million Bret Hart matches, the elbow always comes after that, after the clothesline. But instead, he did another. That was like the second bulldog he did in the match off the top rope. But, yeah. I mean, Bret didn't waste any time and fixed the mistake. Now, so for the sharpshooter, he can't get it on. Um, they talk about the Yokozuna sharpshooter, which was probably the ugliest sharpshooter in Brett's career. Um, and Bam Bam knocks Brett over. Brett goes mm-hmm. for another belly to back, and Brett reverses it. So you've got shades of the first match where Brett reverses the belly to back for the pinfall. But um, Brett. Goes in the corner. Bam Bam runs in. Brett hits him with a kick. And then just absolutely glorious. Brett goes on Bam Bam's shoulders. They sort of uh, steady themselves. And Brett hits the uh, Did you ever see Bam Bam Bigelow's shoot interview? King of the Ring, 1993. Okay. Uh, in the shoot interview, they asked him about wrestling Brett. And he said he loved this match. This is one of his favorite matches of all time. Only problem was when that victory roll happened at the when when uh, Morella was about to hit three, Brett fought it in his face. <laughs> oh man, he said he said he's lucky he did it at at three because if he had done it at two, Bigelow couldn't have helped himself kick it out because he'd be like ah. Because <laughs> you see, as soon as he hits three. Bigelow kicks out. He held. He held. He held. He held it in. He held it in. Just a. Just. Just. Yeah. Just. Just a. That's behind. One you. second <laughs> more than than he should have, or else that would have been a box spot. <laughs> all right. So let me go. Yeah. And Alberta is known for its gas. Oh, so that makes a lot of sense. All right. Blah blah blah. Let's go to the to the thing. Okay. 
Okay. All right. In in the book, he talks about uh him and uh, Hogan had a uh had had a uh, confrontation in the dressing room. I'm not going to go into that. I'm not going to go into that. I want to go into um oh shit. Well, Brett goes uh that's right, and I'll tell you again, Hogan, go fuck yourself. And then he goes and says, I turned and walked out, heading straight for the ring to wrestle Bam Bam for the main event finals of the tournament. Bammer and I had our best match ever. Yes, they did. After 20 long minutes of Bammer bouncing me around like a basketball, I jumped on his shoulders, dove down to grab his ankles, and pinned him with a victory roll. There was no mistaking who the real champion was. Now, we go, we're coming to the end of this program, and I'm going to read this. This will wrap up what happened during the King of the Ring celebration, or supposed celebration. At the end of the show, I stood triumphantly on the podium, wearing a purple cape and crown and holding my scepter, being interviewed by Mean Gene. When as planned, Jerry Lawler came out to attack me. Lawler recklessly bashed me with a wooden stool and then picked up the heavy wooden throne and smashed it down hard on top of me. He really hurt me. I vowed to myself that I'd get even with him later. When I finally got back to the dressing room, Vince pulled me aside to lecture me about how it was unprofessional of me to tell Hogan off. In fact, of the three of us, I felt I was the only one who was being professional. Winning the king of the ring is great, I said, but it just doesn't pay the same as being the world champion, and you and I both know it. It was one of those rare times when Vince had no comeback. Uh, that was a great angle. I didn't know until I read this book the first time several years ago that Lawler potatoed him by accident. Because Jerry Lawler is one of the all-time greats when it comes to, to chair shots and punches that look real but doesn't touch you. And that was accidental on, on Jerry Jerry Lawler's Jerry Lawler's part. But that was a great angle. And the show ended with Bret Hart going down the stairs, right? Draped down the stairs. Oh my God. I hated fucking Jerry Lawler. Motherfucker. So great angle to set up what was an underrated big draw. In 1993 the WWF were having hard times at the box office. Reason why Hogan was told to lose the title to Brett was because after he won at WrestleMania, he couldn't draw flies throughout the arena. Hulkamania was dead. And Vince saw this and was like, you know what? I need to do something. So that's why he wanted to go with Brett. When Hogan refused... The main event at the cards after King of the Ring before SummerSlam was the feud between Lawler and Brett, and they did great houses throughout the country, shockingly. Why? Because Jerry Lawler was a great heel, and he was a fresh face for the WWF fans. And, man, he was a rotten bastard. Everybody hated that bastard, Mr. Burger King. So that ends this show, uh, King of the Ring, 1993. The latest episode of the Hitman Chronicles. Our next show, we will be going straight to WrestleMania 10. Bret Hart versus Owen Hart in the Battle of the Hart Brothers in 
one of the five to ten greatest matches in the history of the World Wrestling Federation. And that'll be the next match we'll be looking at. Uh, Seb, give out your uh, Twitter handle real quick. And you can find me at Twitter at Robert Silva, yeah, R-O-B-E-R-T, S-I-L, V as in Victor, A, 5768. With that, I'd like to thank all the listeners for listening again. And we'll see you in a few weeks for the next installment of the Hitman 